seats in front of you. Um, we have been working our way through the book of Deuteronomy this semester. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go through this book this semester is because uh, I, I want to make this a functional book in your Bible again. Because people avoid this book like the plague because it's got so much just weird stuff in it. Weird, obscure things that we don't really know what to do with as modern people. And so what I wanted to do tonight was take one of those weird passages and talk about it and show you that everything in the Bible is absolutely relevant and absolutely potent for your life and for my life, even though it may sound weird at first. But I'll tell you, I had, an, I had a hard time selecting which awkward and obscure passage to choose from. So here were some of the... Um, runner-ups that didn't make the cut, which may, may have made tonight a lot more interesting. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 12 says this, designate, designate a place outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. As part of your equipment, have something to dig with, and when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. <laughs> this is God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 11. My personal favorite. When men fight with one another and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of him who is beating him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the private parts, then you shall cut off her hand. <laughs> Which, this, that makes sense. I mean, guys, guys, amen that one, yeah. Those would have made for very interesting nights. So, um, the passage that we're going to talk about tonight is still fairly weird, it's still fairly obscure, and I still want to show you that even if we had talked about those two previous passages, the Word of God is relevant. Even if at first it seems really weird and really obscure, and you're like, what in the world does this have to do with anything? So here is um, what our passage is tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 22, the first four verses. This is God's Word. If you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to him. If the brother does not live near you, or if you don't know who he is... Take it home with you and keep it until he comes looking for it, and then give it back to him. Do the same if you find your brother's donkey or his cloak or anything he loses. Do not ignore it. If you see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help him get it to its feet. This is God's word. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in and talk about it. <clears throat> Father, thank you for tonight for a chance to just be together as uh, friends and as a community here gathering around your word. And I pray, regardless of uh, who is in this room tonight and where they stand in relation to you, I pray, Holy Spirit, will you come and will you open everybody's eyes and unclog everybody's ears so that we may see and we may hear the good news of the gospel again. So we ask for your help because we desperately need it, especially with hard passages like this. So we pray for your, your help and your kindness tonight, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to look at this thing as obscure and as seemingly irrelevant as it is under three basic points. The point, the threat, 
and the hero. Those are the three points that I, I think that you'll see as we begin to unpack this thing. The point, the threat, and the hero. So here's the first thing. What, what is the point of this passage? What is going on with this really weird deal? Well, let me just frame it for you under two kind of subheadings. That This is the point of this passage. It tells us what we are to do, and it tells us who we are to do it to. So the what and the who. Let's look at each of these real quick. So this is the point. Here's the first thing. What it is that we are to do. Let me read verse 1 again. If you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to him. So, okay. Pretty simple. Some dude's sheep or ox has wandered off of its property and it has wandered onto your property. And so the command here is for you to take that animal and go bring it back to the owner's property, right? Now, culturally, at this time, domestic animals were unbelievably expensive and valuable. These were the, this is what was efficient farming technology. They, they, they used these animals for harvesting, for, for planting, everything that they could think of, you know, and for efficient transportation, being able to, to you know, get somewhere quicker, which is obvious, or for, you know, cargo. These were extremely expensive, extremely valuable in this culture. So, if you lost one of these animals, this would, this would send you into financial devastation. If not, just send you into complete poverty because you had invested so much in this particular animal. So the point is there is a lot at stake if you lose this animal. But think about this from the perspective of the person who's, who this animal just kind of wandered onto your property. You have to go bring that animal back to that dude who lost it, which you think, okay, it's somewhat inconvenient. I'm sure you had other things you wanted to do with your day besides, you know, finding who this rightful owner for this animal is. This would take time. This would take, you know, energy. You know, these are large, strong animals that you're having to physically assist to get to somebody else's place. And so here's the basic point that we begin to see emerging. Somebody else's problem is your responsibility. You have to take responsibility for other people's problems. When somebody is in need, you, you are responsible for that. This is the, the point we see uh, emerging. But the point starts to expand as the, verse, as, as the verses progress. So you get to verse 2, and it gets a little bit more detailed and demanding. So let me read verse 2. If the brother does not live near you, or if you do not know who he is, take it home with you and keep it until he comes looking for it, and then give it back to him. Okay, so you don't know whose sheep or oxen this is, and you've been out wandering trying to find whose it is, nobody's claiming it, and so now you just inherited a big old problem, a chore. This, this problem is now moved into your house, and an ox or a sheep that you have to feed now, which means that this problem is now chipping into your budget. You had other things that you wanted to spend money on. Now you are feeding somebody else's animal. It's taking up space. It's taking up food. It's taking up your time. It's taking up your energy. This is an enormous inconvenience, having to assume responsibility for somebody else's problem that you didn't ask for. Now, some of y'all have been very kind when Catherine and I have been out of town to come and take care of our dog, which means that you have to drive 10 minutes or so out to our house feed this animal, make sure that she has enough water, make sure that she can go outside and use the restroom. You know, I I know this is an inconvenience to you, but it's helpful to us. Thank you. If anybody has ever had to take care of somebody else's pet, you know, like your neighbor's gone out of town or whatever, and you're in charge of taking over, you know what that's like. 
Can you imagine if a 1,400-pound cow wandered into your apartment complex and you had to assume responsibility for it? That would be a pain. That would be a headache, a huge inconvenience. So you begin to see how unbelievably costly this law is, even though it is weird, even though it is obscure. The point is, as we see progressing, you have to assume responsibility for other people's needs when it comes before you at expense to your resources, your time, your money. And just in case you thought, oh, this only applies to sheep and oxen. Whew. Free. Look at, verse, look at verse 3. It gets even more demanding. Do the same if you find your brother's donkey or his cloak or anything he loses. So this is not just the big problems that come your way that you happen to see. This means if you see anybody in need, you have to meet it. If it comes across, you know, if you, if you are aware of somebody's needs at expense to your own resources, you have to assume responsibility for that, regardless of what it is. So this is the basic point. Verse 4 takes this basic point and just sort of transplants it into a different scenario. So here's a to- totally different situation, same basic point. Here it is, last verse. If you see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen on the, side of, uh, on the road, do not ignore it. Help him get to its feet. So now we have a totally different situation. Donkeys, oxes were used to transport cargo. You know, they'd load up their backs. You've seen it in the movies or whatever. These, these were like hairy U-Haul trailers. And so sometimes, as people are traveling, for whatever reason, the donkey would fall over and could not get back up under the weight of everything. And so the basic point is now applied to a totally different situation. Here is somebody in need. Go help him up. This is going to take your time. This is going to take your energy. These are large, heavy animals. This is going to take your strength. You have to assume responsibility for other people's needs as it comes in front of you at the expense of your own resources. So, this is the point. See others in need. Move towards meeting those needs tangibly at the expense of your own resources. This is the the whole point of this. And the thing is, is that you can't help somebody without expending your resources, or at least jeopardizing your resources. I mean, think about it. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I guess, Catherine and I had some friends over for dinner, and they were telling us about previous winters. They're, you know, locals here. They've been in Boone for a while. And she told us this story of a couple years ago, her car got stuck in the snow, in the ice, which uh, happened to me this winter as well. So, uh, Maybe it happened to you. You can, you can relate. So her car is stuck in the snow. This guy pulls up, parks a little, you know, a little bit ways down the road, gets out of the car to come and help her you know, dig out of the snow and do whatever he can. So as he has parked his car and is over there helping her, this other car enters the scene that doesn't see all this happening and slides around the corner, hits his car that is parked, and sends it over the hill that it was parked on. This guy would not have had his, that would not have happened to his car had he not stopped to help. Anytime you stop, anytime you help, anytime you enter into somebody's need, you are putting yourself at risk. You are making yourself vulnerable. You, you are, in some ways, offering up your resources and saying, this is going to cost me something. Kath and I were talking this morning about uh, this book. 
The Hiding Place. Some of y'all may have read it or had to read it in, in high school or whatever, written by Corey Tinboom, which is a story about, true story, in World War II, there was this uh, Christian family that started taking in um, uh, Jewish refugees and, and hiding them in different kind of secret rooms in their house uh, to, to protect them from, you know, the, the Nazi Gestapo. And so, when they, whenever they did this, the, the Jewish refugees' chances of surviving and their safety increased dramatically, right? They were taken in. Their chances of surviving went up exponentially. However, the Tin Boom family, they entered into the risk, and so they, were, they became more vulnerable. They became more um, uh, at risk for getting in trouble with the Nazis. So you're saying they, they entered into it they, they, at cost to themselves, and they got busted. The, the Nazis sent, sent them and that family to the concentration camps as well. So you see, anytime you help somebody, you are entering into their need and assuming it. It's, it's costing you something. It's costing you your time, your resources, and in this particular situation, maybe even your life. And that is the call of this passage. That is the point of this passage. That if you are aware of somebody else's need, the responsibility is yours. You are to move towards meeting it, which means that may look like for you helping to tutor somebody that you know is struggling in a class that you may be particularly good at. That may mean taking up time to do that. That may mean giving people rides. If you have a car and they don't and they need to go to the grocery store or they need to go home for break or whatever, offering up your ride. Uh, Helping people financially. If you have money that you can give, to give to people. Or if you have tons of money left over on your app card and people are hungry at the end of the semester, letting them have some. This is the call. It's, meeting, it's moving towards meeting people's needs tangibly. They need something. You give it at cost to you and at cost to your resources. That is the point. That is what we are to do. But secondly, who are we to do this to? Because if you saw all throughout this passage, you may have noticed it said your brother. And you would have been right. Six times it says you are to do this to your brother, to your brother, to your brother. And you think, oh, okay. This is relieving. I, I have to only help my brother, the, the people in my family, the people that I would have just wanted to have helped anyway, right? Well, yes and no. Because you are right, it does say brother. So that, you know, in this context, that does mean fellow Israelites, meaning, so for you, people in your family, your closest friends, your church community, people closest to you. But notice in verse 2, it says even a brother that you don't know. You are responsible for meeting the needs of even people that you don't know. So, okay, Put that into uh, our modern day. This means people on your hall that you may not necessarily know or aren't necessarily friends with. If you become aware of their problem, that problem is now your problem. If you, uh, you, you know, the people that you don't know on this campus, even in this room, thousands of people on this campus that you don't know, if you see a need that comes before you, that is your responsibility to meet now. Or people in Boone, people in just the larger community. You see, you see the point. This, anybody that you don't know If they have a need, it is your responsibility to meet it. However, it gets even more demanding because it's not just your brother, your closest friends. It's not just the people out there that you don't know. It also applies to your enemies. And here's where I get this from. There is an exact parallel passage of this law in Exodus 23. Exodus 23, verse 4, I'm going to read it. And it's going to sound familiar, although the word is a little different. So let me read it. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. 
If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help him with it. Biblically, the call to meet other people's needs applies to those closest to you, your friends, your family, applies to people that you don't know, and it applies to people that hate you. This is the call. This is the point of this passage, which means a lot of things for us in this room. This means that person that you used to be friends with, but something really weird happened, and now you have all of this resentment towards each other, and anytime you see each other, it's really awkward. Anytime you see each other on campus or when you go back home or wherever this person is, that means if they have a need that you become aware of, that's the person that you have to go meet that need. This means the guy that you're, or the, the girl that your boyfriend cheated on you with, if you see that girl who has a need, it is your responsibility to move towards meeting that need at the expense of your money and at the expense of your time or the expense of whatever. You know that guy that totally schooled you on the basketball court and made you feel like an idiot and, and uh, laughed at you and made fun of you in front of all your friends who are watching? That means if he has a need that you become aware of, that's the person that you have to move towards meeting their particular need in a concrete and tangible way. Or what about the person on your hall that you think is a total loser and dresses really weird and listens to really stupid music? If they have a need that you become aware of, that's the person that this passage says you have to go and, and meet their need at the expense of what, of what you have. The money that you were saving up to go buy a new outfit, the money that you were saving up to go buy a new CD or something, that money now goes to them. That's the point of this passage. The point is, see others in need. Move towards tangibly meeting those, that, those needs at the expense of your own resources, regardless if they, have, if they are your best friend or your worst enemy. That's the point. But you know, this is a lot easier said than done, obviously. So here's the next thing, the threat. If that is the point of this passage, what is the threat of this passage? The threat of living out this passage is what I mean. Three different times in verse 1, 3, and 4, you see the language of do not ignore it. Here's verse 1. If you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it. That actual phrase in Hebrew literally says this. Do not hide yourself from them. Because the Bible knows that it is our instinct to want to avoid at all costs getting involved in other people's mess. It is too costly. It's too demanding. And so we just ignore it. We, we don't want to get involved. We turn our head. And so we just hide ourselves from the situation. You remember the story, the, the parable that Jesus told, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? A dude gets jumped by these robbers and he's laying in the, in the street, you know, beaten up. These two religious guys come up, see him, see the situation, cross the street and keep walking, right? The threat is willful ignorance, I don't want anything to do with that. It's going to cost me too much. I don't want to get involved. And we know this threat very well, don't we? You know, you pull up to the intersection, you pull up to the light, and there's the dude with the sign. And so you think, oh, this is a good time to adjust the radio so I don't have to look at this guy. Or this is, this is when I need to text somebody back. And so, you know, anything you can to not have to make eye contact and have to deal with that person, distracting yourself by willfully ignoring the needs of other people. I mean, you know it well. I know it well because this is what we do. It is too costly to actually get involved with other people and other people's problems. So you think, okay, I, knew, I know that that dude on my hall is struggling with this subject that I am particularly really good in, but I don't want to tutor him because, hey, 
I'm busy too. I got a lot of stuff to do. I can't take on his problems and mine. So you just kind of shut it off and pretend like he doesn't have the issues that he does have, right? Or you know that girl in the coffee shop that you see or that you talk to and you know that she's struggling financially and she's having a hard time paying rent month to month to month. So instead of saying, uh, well, I'm broke too. I, you, know, I have, you know, I have money, but I can't, I've got to use it for me too. And besides, it would be really weird for me to go and ask my friends to help chip in and do something to help this person. So we just kind of ignore it and maybe not go to that coffee shop anymore, right? Or we have a relationship with one of our friends who we are really angry about because they continue to do X, something that is driving us nuts. But to address it would be way too costly. It's going to take way too much time. It's going to be really emotional. We're going to have to fuss about it. And besides, I could even risk losing the relationship. So I'm just going to stuff it under the rug and pretend like it's not there. It's too costly. I'm just going to willfully ignore it and smile and keep going. Helping others will cost you and you know it. And so this is why it is our instinct and the threat of living out this passage is just to pretend like they aren't there. There's this really amazing song by Ingrid Michaelson uh, called Keep Breathing. And the first few lines of that song are unbelievably honest as far as her reaction to seeing the needs of the world. And here's what she says. A storm is coming, but I don't mind. People are dying. I close my blinds. So you see what she's saying. I look out my window, the world around me, people are dying out there, and it's too much for me to deal with, so I just close the blinds. I just seal it up so I don't have to think about it. I'm just going to willfully ignore the needs of others so that I don't have to get involved. If you are a Christian in this room, we have to begin repenting of the way that we look at the needs of the world and in the name of Jesus, ignore them. It is time to repent. We have to admit that when we look at the needs of the world, the needs of our friends, the needs of our immediate community, and do not move towards helping that need, that is sin. That is biblically called evil. And we just have to begin repenting and admitting we do this. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, I'm just going to read it to you, verse 16. John writes this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, meaning doesn't actually materially help him, how can the love of God be in him? Verse 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And this isn't just a problem raised in the Bible. The Bible isn't the only one raising this question. The rest of the world is looking at the Christian community and saying and asking the same thing. If y'all claim to follow this guy who gave up all of his resources for you and you see the needs of the world and don't do anything about it, how can the love of God be in you? I thought of a ton of song lyrics of angry people who are angry at Christians that are addressing this. And I'm not going to quote the one that I wanted to because it's uh, Ben Folds and he has a um, potty mouth. Uh, But he has this song called All You Can Eat and it's unbelievably honest and it's unbelievably biting. And here's the basic point of that song, which I would recommend listening to if you have a uh, strong stomach. But here's what he says. God has blessed America to the point where we are overly rich, overly fed, 
overly entertained as a country, and we look at the global needs around us and don't give a rip about them. And that is a problem. So let's summarize. The point of this passage is to see the needs of the world around us and to tangibly move towards meeting those needs at the expense of our resources, regardless of who that person is. The threat of accomplishing this and living this out is willful ignorance, not wanting to obligate ourselves because it's way too costly and it'd be way too demanding on our time. Does this sound familiar? Hopefully. If we just stopped right here, this would leave you with nothing but guilt. Feel really guilty about the fact that you don't do this, that you know you're not being a good person, you know you're not living this out, you know that you're turning your head, the needs around you. If we, left, if we stopped right here, all you would be having was guilt. And so you would take that guilt and say, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. I'm going to help people. I'm going to see people. And when you do, that would do two things. One is that would begin to assuage some of your guilt. That would go away. And then the second thing is that you begin to feel really good about yourself. You begin to say, hey, I'm actually helping people. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And if, that, if guilt was the thing that was driving the train for you, after a while, the needs of the world would become too overwhelming. Right? It would be too demanding. You would help somebody out and you would get burned. You would be taken advantage of and you'd say, hey, I'm the one that's trying to help you. You're taking advantage of me. And so guilt, in the end, will only burn you out or will make you self-righteous and prideful. It is not big enough. It is not a strong enough motivator to live out the implications of what this is. So if you are feeling guilty tonight, if you feel guilty as a result of this passage, I want, to, I want you to redirect your guilt as we look at this last thing, I want you to redirect your guilt because the only solution to living this out and to having the resources to continue to live this out is to see and to behold the hero of this passage. That's where I want you to redirect your guilt if, you're, if you are feeling it, is to redirect your guilt to the hero of the passage. And let me explain what I mean by that. Here we have an, a law, a really weird, obscure law. But I want you to remember what Jesus said about his relationship to the law, what he said in Matthew 5. He said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? Meaning, I have come to fulfill the entire law and this law that we're talking about specifically tonight. So how does Jesus fulfill this law? Well, the Bible assumes that everybody is in desperate need. Everybody in this room. We came into this room with an unbelievable need. And what is that? Our need is twofold. We are in desperate need of having our guilt forgiven and of having our corruption healed. We need forgiveness for our objective guilt and we need healing for our subjective corruption, right? Everybody is guilty. When we, when we walk away from this law, we know we aren't doing this. We know we are not living the way that we ought to be, right? And this is just one law among lots of laws in the Bible. We know We have an objective problem that we need an objective solution for. We need forgiveness for our guilt. But the second thing is we have a subjective problem. All of our hearts are bent in a way that the Bible says is sinful and away away from God. We are prideful and we like to boast about what we do. We are uh, self-consumed and so we buy and we consume. We don't care anything about how it affects anybody else. We are sinful, as the Bible says. So we have this twofold need A desperate need as when we walk into this room. And Jesus says, I have moved towards meeting your needs. At infinite cost to me and to my resources, to myself, 
I have fulfilled this law and have kept the law by meeting your needs. I have loved my neighbor perfectly. This is Jesus' claim. And so when his neighbor needed, his, needed forgiveness for their guilt, he said, I will step in and I will bear the punishment that their guilt deserves on the cross. So that is what he is doing. He is bearing the punishment so that you can be forgiven. When his neighbor needed healing from their sinful corruption, he says, I'm going to go to the cross, embody their sinfulness, and die so that they can get life and that they can get healing. When you see the cross, this is a demonstration of Jesus tangibly moving towards meeting the needs of the world that he didn't have to. He was in heaven enjoying the glory of the Trinity, enjoying the glory of heaven, and enjoying fellowship with God. He could have said, hey, I don't owe you guys anything. You got yourselves into this mess. You can get yourselves out. And if he had said that, he would have been just, and he would have been good, and he would have been right to say that. But he didn't. And out of complete mercy and undeserved favor, he entered into the mess of our situation and into the mess of our need and said, I'm going to take it on, not at the risk of my life, but at the expense of my life, at infinite cost to myself and my resources. I'm going to move into your need so that you can be healed and that you can be forgiven. And this is what begins to give you the resources to live this passage out, not out of guilt and not out of uh, this barbaric fear, but out of joy and gratitude because you have experienced grace. When you look at somebody and you see that they have a need that is going to be unbelievably costly to you, you now have this language and this heart posture, this attitude of, I know this is going to be immensely costly for me to move towards meeting their need, but I have one who has already come and who has met every spiritual need that I have. Jesus took the hit for me, so now I can begin taking the hit for other people. It's going to be costly. Yeah, it's going to hurt. But this is just sort of what I do now because this is what Jesus did for me. When you have an experience of grace, that transforms your motivation to want to go out and do that with other people. Or when you see a situation where your very enemy, somebody who has a political system that you think is crazy or a way of looking at the world that you think is crazy and they think the way that you look at the world is crazy, when they have a need that you can meet at at a horrible cost to you, you can actually move towards meeting that need and say, yeah, okay, I, I can take the hit for my enemy because Jesus took the hit for his enemies. People like you and me, people who deserved his wrath and his condemnation, he took the hit for us, his enemies, so that we could be forgiven and that we can be healed. And this is what gives you the resources to begin to move towards even caring for and laying down your life for your enemies. But you won't do it unless you have had an experience of grace, unless your heart has been melted by seeing the hero of this passage, that Jesus has met your needs at infinite cost to himself. Only that, out of joy and gratitude, will give you the motivation and the resources to do this and to live this way, even when you're burned, even when it hurts, even when it costs you your life. You do it because Jesus did it for you. A couple weeks ago, we were in Charlotte, and we heard this story from our church who sent this team of missionaries down to Haiti. And I think that they were bringing in medical supplies or food or something. I think it was just medical supplies. So they, they, they you know, flew into Haiti, And one of the girls on this mission team contracted malaria while she was there and had to be helicoptered out and like emergency um, transported over to this hospital in Miami. She came in to Haiti, which at this point was this disease-ridden, hostile hellhole. 
And she entered into the need of this community, which would not have had any hope of surviving apart from her coming in from the outside. And so she came in and she brought the help and she brought the medical supplies and brought it into this uh, place of unbelievable need. And as she did, she, she was susceptible to the dangers there and, and came down with something that, that almost cost her her life and had to be exported out of there. This is a picture of the gospel. Jesus, although he didn't have to, out of undeserved grace, moves into our disease-ridden, sin-saturated world because of the fall and says, okay, I'm going to embody this. I'm going to take this on so that these people can get healing and can get life because without me, they can't have it. When the gospel begins, when you begin to believe the gospel, and I don't mean just cognitively affirm that it's true, but when you have had an experience of grace, when you have tasted what I'm talking about, this is what gives you the motivation to do what this girl did, to move into a place like Haiti, which is going to cost you maybe even your life, to help those that you don't have to help. And you're going to live this passage out. You are enabled you are, you, you are driven and you are motivated only by the gospel. And so the question is, and this is the question I want to leave you with, is do you know the gospel? Have you, have you had an experience of grace like this? Have you seen and tasted and beheld the hero of this passage, King Jesus himself, who owed you nothing but gave you everything? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray, will you make us the kind of people that are so in touch with the gospel that we become people that actually do this, that we become the kind of people and the kind of community and that, that moves toward meeting people's needs at cost to ourselves. Father, I pray, will you make this room, these people in it right now, these kind of people, will you make RUF this kind of community where we are known for laying down our life out of love for our neighbor, for our brother, and for our enemy. Will you do it and motivate us by your grace? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.